Revelation. Chapter 21. We will start with verse 4 this week. You know, during my over 20 years as a minister, I've, uh, I've dealt with a lot of dying people over the years. Different stages of, of the times that they know that their life on earth is short. Um, and you know, it's interesting how differently dying people respond as they approach the end of this life. I mean, there, there's no cookie-cutter way of how people respond to death. Um, but I have noticed a big difference between believers and unbelievers on how they approach death. Um, now, for the unsaved, I've seen a pretty wide spectrum of responses. Um, but I believe that most of those responses, regardless of what they are, all stem from fear. Because they have no hope of anything beyond this life. They, they have this conclusion that uh, this life is it. This is all they got. And so I, it's interesting because I've seen those who, who say are, are dying from cancer who want to do every single thing they can do to extend their life, you know, a, a couple of years longer, a couple of months longer, or even a few days longer, just to get as much out of this life as they can because they just, they feel like this is it. And so they have to try to, to take in everything that they can because when this life is over, they're done. Um, now, they will use any means to do that. Do you realize that there are 146 people who have been cryogenically frozen? So the idea with cryogenical freezing is that they take your body immediately after your heart stops and they, they have this emergency response where they try to get your body in and get it frozen 130 degrees below zero as quickly as they can. So, if you're interested, if you're interested, for around $200,000, you can be cryogenically frozen, your full body. Now, if that seems a little steep for you, for $85,000, they'll do just your head. Now, I don't know what you're supposed to do after that, but, but they will freeze just your head for $85,000. Now, see, this is the idea. The idea is that one day science is going to figure out how to create eternal life. And so when all of this takes place, science is going to be able to bring them back out of this frozen state and then bring them back to life. 
Now, this is the interesting thing. As I was reading the article on this, this cryogenically freezing, they said back in, this has been going on for decades. Matter of fact, there was rumors that had went around that uh, Walt Disney had been frozen. Now, his family denies that, but that was the rumor that had been spread. So that tells you how long it's been around. But what, as you as you're because you can go to their webpage and look it up, and they can tell you how to you know how to get hooked up with them if you want to you know spend the money. And um, one of the questions that was asked to him was, you know. If I can't afford it, you know, is there, is there some way that, you know, this can happen for me anyway? And so they began to tell this story back in, in 1976 that uh, they had started taking cases in that couldn't afford the $200,000. And uh, anyway, to make a long story short, they ran out of money. And they had to let some of the people thaw out. <laughs> so they lost about a dozen people. And they said, and the way, and it was funny because the way they said it was, they said that uh, they had to let a dozen people die. So they've got this idea that these people that are frozen, wouldn't you want to freeze them before they died, though? Wouldn't that make sense? Instead of waiting until they die? I don't, I, I don't understand it all, but... And I'll bet you if you check in Groupons, you can find a discount even there. Just look it up, people. It's there. Um, and, you know, even when you start dealing with believers who, who are in the, the, the final stages of this life, you still see fear in some of them. You still see a response of fear, and not, but it's not the same type of fear. It's not that fear of things coming to an end. It's more of an anxious fear, uh, not really understanding what's going to happen next or not knowing what to expect. I, I always likened that it was kind of like, I hate traveling because I, I'll get to a, an airport somewhere and I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea. And, it, and it's interesting because when I'm dealing with people and they're getting close to the end and they have this anxious fear like, you know, they have this idea that when they pass away, they're going to pass away into a nothingness, and then they got to figure it out. And then I've been able to take them and, and show them, uh, especially one of my favorite stories is the story of the rich man and Lazarus, when it says that the angels came and escorted Lazarus into, the, into Abraham's bosom. And I tell him, I say, listen, not, God leaves nothing to chance. He's not going to rely on you to try to figure out how to get to heaven. And then I, I've had stories, I've heard stories of, of people taking their last breath and, and speaking of the angels they see standing around their bed as they prepare to leave this life. I said, listen, you have nothing to fear. Because when you take that last breath here, you take that first breath into your new life. And so, but, but you still have this, this unknown I've actually had prayer requests that death would come quickly. You know, it's interesting because I, I dealt with people who, who received these, these final notices that their life is coming to the end, and, and we pray and we pray and we pray that God heals them, and we pray. And, but I've actually received prayer requests that 
that God would take them, that God would just let them go home. Not very often, but I do get those. I have had those. Um, and usually what you have with believers is you see a peaceful passing from this life. I, I, I can't tell you very many times, if any, that when dealing with the passing of a believer, that it wasn't anything but peaceful and comforting, especially for the family. I mean, when you deal with a family whose loved one it was an unbeliever, there's a lot of pain, a lot of pain. You know, even within the family, you might have believers who know that that person was not a believer, and they know what lies ahead for them on the other side. So you see a lot of pain in these families who have loved ones who pass that have no hope of anything beyond that. But then I've, always, I've also seen joyful passings. Joyful passings. To where people would celebrate, not that the person had gone home, but that the person was home. And celebrate because they have passed from this, this life that we suffered through down here. I can remember one time I watched a grieving wife her husband had been diagnosed not too long before his passing, after his diagnosis. And I don't know what type of cancer he had, but um, once he got the diagnosis of cancer, he didn't last more than a week, and he passed. But I can remember he was so worried all week long uh, because when he found out he was passing and that they told him whatever type of cancer it was, they told him, you need to get your family here you need because... His passing will be pretty quick. And so all of his family, all of his children, all of, they all came in. Uh, they were our next door, next door neighbors. And I had known the wife for many, many years. Um, matter of fact, I had worked with her in Mansfield at the Mimosa restaurant. She was a waitress. I was a dishwasher when I was 16 years old. So I'd known her for many, many years. And I can remember that me and my pastor had gone up to Springfield. It was on a Sunday morning. We'd gone up to Springfield to pick up a missionary that was going to be preaching at our, our church. And um, we got a phone call on the way home and said, you need to get over there. Said that he is, he is almost to the end. And I can remember when we went in, he was, he was towards the very end, the very end. And, you know, that stage where they, they'll take a breath and then there's a long pause and then they'll take another breath. And, and I remember his wife going over there and she, she leaned over the bed and he was so worried all week long. He kept talking to all of us, all of the men from the church, and, and he, he kept saying, who's going to take care of my wife? He said, I've taken care of her for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, whatever it was. And he said... I've always taken care of her. He said, who's going to take care of my wife? And we, we reassured her that she was going to be fine, that we'll make sure as a church that she was taken care of. And, and so she leaned over the bed. He, just, he seemed to be hanging on, and, and, he's, and she said, why does he just not go home? 
I don't understand why he doesn't just go home. And she leaned over and she whispered in his ear. His name was Mel. She leaned over and she whispered in his ear and he, she said, Mel, I'm going to be fine. She said, just go home. She said, let go. And that was the last breath he took. She gave him permission and told him and reassured him, I'm going to be fine. And how many people would pray that prayer? I can remember Roy and Thelma Mallerney whenever I first started pastoring here. When Thelma was dying, we had all gathered at her house, and she was in the final stages of life. And I remember her asking Roy, Roy, just pray that God takes me home. And he began to weep, and he said, I can't. He said, I just can't. She said, I understand. Powerful. Powerful. But it wasn't that he didn't want her to go home. He just didn't want her to go home without him. He was ready to go home. He wanted to go home too. But you see so many different ideas and so many stages. And you know, in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, death is described as our last enemy. That's the last enemy that you will fight on this earth is death. And then in Philippians one twenty-eight. it says, Be brave when you face your enemies. <laughs> your courage will show them that they are going to be destroyed. And it will show you that you will be saved. God will make all of this happen. Death is our final enemy. And Paul told the church at Philippi, he said, Face your enemies with bravery. Don't fear death. Don't fear death. And so, you know, we started this journey in Revelation almost two years ago. You realize that it's been almost two years. We've been in Revelation almost two. I was thinking about that, and I thought, boy, how time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> so, in the past two years, we've visited the seven churches of Asia Minor. We've seen the horsemen of the apocalypse. We've met many major players throughout this journey. The dragon, the antichrist, the false prophet, the 144,000 evangelists, the 24 elders. We've seen countless martyrs over this period of time. We witnessed um, the two witnesses. We've seen mighty angels who came and, and gave great proclamations throughout this we saw a war in heaven we've went through 21 plagues the seven seals the seven trumpets and the seven vials we've seen the most lopsided battle in human history right in the middle right in the middle of the valley of megiddo the Antichrist and the false prophet were cast into the lake of fire. We saw Yeshua 
ride out on his white horse. We saw the separation of the goats and the sheep. We saw Satan cast, bound and cast into the abyss. We saw the thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth. And then at the end of that thousand years, we've seen Satan once again released for a short period of time. Once again to lead a rebellion. And then we've seen the second biggest lopsided battle in human history. As once again the rebellious are crushed. Satan is cast into hell with the false prophet and the antichrist. This present earth and the universe are completely destroyed. And then we saw a great white throne. We saw the wicked of all ages judged and condemned and sentenced to eternity in hell cast into a lake of fire. And then according to Isaiah 65, 17, as we looked at it last year, or last year, last week, Jehovah created a brand new heaven, a brand new earth. If you remember last week, we looked at the, the Hebrew word, bara, which meant to absolutely create. The same Hebrew word that was used in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, Jehovah created, bara, created from nothing, absolutely created. And then finally, finally, we can read these words today, Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears. From their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I will make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be with I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. All right, let's stop there. So he starts this description of the new heavens and the new earth by telling us what will not be there. He starts this description of the eternal state by telling us what will not be there. And the first thing he says is there will be absolutely no tears. None. 
There will be no tears. He says, he will wipe away all tears. Now, listen, this does not mean that everybody's going to show up with tears in their eyes and Jesus is going to come around with some sort of super saint snot rag to get the tears off of their face. Or maybe, if you prefer, a Holy Ghost hanky. That's not what it's talking about. There will be absolutely no tears in heaven. You see, what it does mean is that every reason to shed a tear will be removed. Every single reason that would cause you to shed a tear will not be there. I've heard people say, well, how can I enjoy heaven? I don't see how I could ever enjoy heaven knowing that my loved ones had gone to hell. I can't imagine being in heaven and knowing and being able to live eternity knowing that I've had friends, that I've had loved ones that have passed on and gone to hell. Isaiah 65, 17, as we looked at and, and seen that the new heavens and the new earth are created, he goes on to say that the former things will be remembered no more. And you know, you think about that. As hard as that is for us to think about, that is the only way that true joy could happen. That is the only way that you could live eternity in true joy is that the former things of this life, the loved ones who never accepted God, who will spend eternity in hell, will be remembered no more. Now, this is more than just the removal of tear ducts. And, and this might be another hint into our glorified bodies. We talked about how there will be no more seas, how this earth will, uh, the new earth will no longer be based upon on, on H2O and, and the dependence upon it. But there will be no sadness, no disappointment, no pain. No tears over lost loved ones. Tears of remorse or regret. No tears of anger or frustration. And thank God there will be no tears for fears. Sorry, I, that was my 80s reference right there. For the absence of these, I will shout, shout, let it all out. These are the things I can do without. Come on. I'm talking to you. Come on. I can't help it. I apologize. I, okay, I'm moving on. Isaiah chapter 25 and verse 8. It says, He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. 
He says one of the reasons that there will be no tears, one of the reasons that tears will be removed is because there will be no more death. No more death. And you know, that's hard to imagine in this current 99.9% survival rate plague that we're dealing with. No more death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 4 says, Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Not just that death has gone away, not that death has been taken from us. Death will be swallowed up in victory. And then Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood, for only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And we know that Satan is cast into the lake of fire in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10. And it says that death will go with him in verse 14. And then he goes on to say that neither was there sorrow or crying. You know, you can have tears without crying, but you can't have crying without tears. Grief, sorrow, distress, it will not exist there. You see... These all create an outward expression of sorrow and crying. Grief and sorrow and distress within us creates this outward expression of crying. It says there will be none of these there. All that will be there will be supernatural joy. (coughs) Isaiah chapter 53 verses 3 through 5 says, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrow, speaking of Yeshua, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And he thought his troubles were a pun and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment from for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. Isaiah says that he took all of those things upon him upon the cross. So that one day we could live a fulfilled, joyful, complete, eternal life. And then it says no more pain. That alone, my friend, is worth the price of admission. (laughs) No more pain. Can you imagine getting up in the morning time and not having to hesitate? Can you imagine standing up and not having to do it in stages? (laughs) And listen, physical or mental, 
those glorified, sin-free bodies will no longer be subject to injury, illness, cancer, COVID, etc. Pain will be gone. Suffering will be gone. And he goes on to say, because you need to understand something, the first things have passed away. Those things that you dealt with in that formal life, those things that you dealt with in those those sin-tainted bodies, they've passed away. Those things are gone. They will no longer plague you. Anything brought on by the fall is gone. Gone forever. Mourning is gone. Suffering is gone. Sorrow is gone. Disease is gone. Pain is gone. Death is gone. Isn't that worth looking forward to? Verse 5 says, and he, and he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And then he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. So he who sat upon the throne. Now we know who sat upon the throne. He is the same one that we've seen in chapter 20, verse 11, who sat upon the great white throne. It is Jehovah God. And he says, I make all things new. How exciting is that? I make all things new. Don't you like new? Does your car smell new when you get in it? I mean, I can go, I can go down to Walmart and buy a new car air freshener. And my 19 or my 2002 pickup smells brand new. I don't know that I'm fooling anybody, but it smells new. Don't you like new? And you see, when God does it, he does it right. He doesn't do it halfway. He does it right. And so I can see, I, I had this vision as I was studying this, because right in the middle of this, you see all of this stuff going on, and right in the middle of it, God looks at John and says, right, right. I can just see it. John is standing there with his jaw open, staring in amazement at what's going on around him. I can even see him dropping his quill. And God goes, John, write. What are you doing? Write. You're almost finished, buddy, but you need to write down what you're seeing here because I'm telling you, all of this is going to come to pass. Everything I'm telling you is true. Everything you're seeing here will happen write it down john people need to know write it down and then he looks at john and he says it is done it is done very reminiscent of of christ upon the cross it is finished All of human history has come to fruition. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 24 says, Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to our God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. 
The last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is clear that this excludes the Father who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son will himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. And then he says, I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning. I am the end. I started this, and I will finish this. I started this in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created. And he says, I will end this too. And I will end it my way. And then he says, and I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. So the next thing we ask is, who will be there? Who is going to be there? The first one he says is, he who is thirsty you see, you thirst when you realize you're lacking something. When you get hot, when you're sweating, your body begins to tell you, I am lacking something, and you become thirsty. You know that you're falling short. A true believer realizes that without God, he is a mess. He thirsts for that righteousness from God. God's righteousness. You long for it. You seek after it. You will not be satisfied until you receive the fullness of it. Psalms 42 verse 1 and 2 describes it this way. And I love this. As a deer pants for the water's brooks. So my soul pants for you, God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? He says, I thirst like a deer who has been running. I thirst like a deer who needs to find a spring of water to quench that thirst. When can I come before God to receive the fullness thereof? That God offers. And he says, I will give them water. The water of life. He said, I will pour out freely upon them. The water of life. Eternal life, that is. John chapter 4, verse 13 and 14 says, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks of this water, speaking to the woman at the well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then in John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38, it says, 
On the last and greatest day of this festival, Jesus stood and he said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And then he goes on to say, not only those who thirst after the righteousness of God, but he says that those who overcome. Uh, those who overcome. First John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5 says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Listen. Even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. He says it isn't just about faith. It's who you have faith in is what helps you to overcome the world. But then not only does he tell us who's going to be there, but then he tells us who's not going to be there. Verse 8 says, But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Who will not be there? The first one he points out of it, he says, listen, the fearful will not be there. The fearful are the ones who know the truth, but they're afraid. They might be the ones that when they're around you, they'll claim to be a Christian. But then when they get around unbelievers, all of a sudden they become a chameleon. And they start looking like those that might ridicule them or them that might make fun of them. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 13 says, But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. I've said many, many times, you want to know who the true believers are? They're the ones who make it to the end. They're the ones who endure to the end. I told a gentleman one time, he said, do you believe I am a Christian? I said, get back with me in 20 years. It's pretty simple. Get back with me in 20 years and we'll talk about it. Matthew chapter 13, verse 20 and 21 says, and this is the parable of the sower, the parable of the soil, however you want to say it. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. says they will not be a part of the eternal state. And then he says, the unbelieving, we know that speaks of the unbelievers that will not be there. 
the abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers. Once again, that word sorcerer, we get the word pharmaceuticals from it. So it's talking about those that are drug-induced, idolaters, those that serve other gods, liars, those that constantly, every time you see their mouth open, you know they're lying to you. I love it. Judge Judy says, how do you know when a teenager's lying? Their mouth is open. Well, that's pretty harsh. True, but harsh. <laughs> and then it says that all of these shall have their part in the lake of fire that burneth forever. We know who's going to be there. We know who's not going to be there. And all of those things have to be removed from the eternal state in order for us to be able to have that joy, that supernatural joy. And next week, we're going to start looking at the description of what we see with the new Jerusalem. If you'll stand to your feet, please. I'm looking forward to this time. I'm in no hurry to get there now. <laughs> but we talked, you know, we talked about it last week. I think the problem we have as Christians in this Western culture is that we're not persecuted. We don't have people kill, trying to kill us. Do you think the Christians in the Middle East are ready to go home? Because they're probably going to go there pretty quick. Pretty quick. We got it good here. It's hard to want to go home when you got it so good. But that's just because we really don't understand what lies before us. Father, thank you. What a powerful vision you've given us what a powerful picture you've given us of that eternal state that lies before us god we've seen the wicked put away we've seen satan we've seen the unbelievers that have all chosen the path before them they have all made a decision an eternal decision and now as we we move forward through the remainder of revelation god this is for us. This is for the believers. This is for all of us to understand what we have to look forward to. And fathers, we leave this house today. I pray that we think about what lies ahead, God. We think about those that have gone before. We think about that final glorious state that we will be like you. <coughs> Keep us safe today. Go with us. We ask all these things in Jesus' very precious name. Amen. God bless you.